A reading from Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town, who lived a simple life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will, he love, will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. <coughs> Thanks, Sandy, very much for reading. Uh, welcome to you all. It's great to see you all. Ooh, it's Tuesday lunchtime. Can I add my welcome to Claire's? Um, if you've joined us since the beginning, we're um, we're continuing a series in Luke's Gospel, listening in on conversations that Jesus had with a whole variety of different people over the dinner table. And our, our aim each week is to reflect on well, how does these how do these conversations two thousand years ago apply to us? today in our work in our politics in all of our lives and whether we're already followers of Christ or whether we're investigating the Christian faith and this week we're going to look at what Jesus says to two very different types of people those who think they're too bad for Jesus and those who think they're not bad enough for Jesus so as we do that let's pray as we come to these two characters Heavenly Father, we pray as, as we reflect on this passage now, please open our eyes to see ourselves truly and to see Jesus truly. Amen. Amen. So let's, let's start by looking at, at that type of person who thinks that they are too bad for Jesus. And this person, I think, is represented by this unnamed woman in the story. 
And the very first thing that we're told about her is that she lived a sinful life. We're not told the specifics, but she was clearly notorious for her immoral lifestyle. And in verse 37 we hear that um, she's learnt that Jesus is going to be a guest at uh, Simon the Pharisee's house for dinner, so she goes along. And uh, actually it wasn't unusual for a wider group of uninvited guests to turn up at these kind of uh, dinners um, if they'd heard that a famous religious teacher like Jesus was going to be there. This kind of wider crowd would sort of stand around the edge of the room and then the guests, the invited guests, would recline on couches uh, in the middle of the room. And this woman has clearly been deeply affected by Jesus' ministry already because she comes with this jar of perfume, which was very expensive and normally reserved for anointing people on special occasions. So she's clearly come with intent to anoint Jesus or do something to him um, with this perfume. And you can imagine that she was feeling pretty nervous Given her reputation in the town, she, she knows she's likely to get a bad reception from the other people there if she steps forward and anoints Jesus in some way. But there's something that compels her to approach him despite all this. So she edges forward and she's about to pour perfume on his feet when the waterworks start. She's so full of emotion. And she starts weeping so copiously. And the Greek word here is literally sort of to drench or to flood. She, she weeps so copiously, she starts wetting his feet with her tears. And Jesus would have been reclining um, with the sort of feet facing outwards, as it were, in this sort of inner, inner circle. So his feet were the most kind of accessible thing to um, the woman to anoint. And then she does something even more remarkable. She, she, she starts drying his feet with her hair. I mean, she could have done this very easily with her folds of her dress or, or something, but she uses her hair instead. And again, in Jewish society at the time, for a woman to let down her hair in public uh, was just not done at all. In fact, a woman only let down her hair in private in front of her husband. And then... On top of that, she kisses his feet. And finally, she anoints his feet with this very expensive perfume. It's an extraordinary series of actions that she performs. And what is it that runs through them all? What characterises them all? It, it's an unrestrained, abundant, and, and deeply personal love that she has for Jesus. And Jesus himself confirms this. You'll see later in the passage, in verse 47, when he explains to Simon later, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. So we know they're actions of great love. And why does she love him so much? Well, because, as Jesus says, she knows her sins have been forgiven. Now, he's been teaching publicly throughout that region about forgiveness of sins being available to all people. Maybe she'd heard of him healing that paralysed man earlier in Luke's Gospel and forgiving his sins. Maybe uh, she'd even been at, at that dinner at Levi's house that we heard about uh, last week, where um, amongst the most 
despised moral failures of society, Jesus said he'd come to offer forgiveness to anyone who asked for it. Jesus couldn't be clearer to the woman and in the full hearing of everyone. He says three times at the end of the passage that her sins are forgiven. Verse 47, her many sins have been forgiven. Verse 48, your sins are forgiven. Verse 50, your faith has saved you. Another way of saying the same thing. So this woman stands for people who think they are just too bad for Jesus. Is that you, I wonder, this Tuesday lunchtime? Is there something in your life, something that you feel you can't share with anyone, that you think, nobody would forgive me this, and God definitely wouldn't forgive me? Well, Jesus' message to this woman, and to you, is unequivocal. Whatever we have done can be forgiven by Jesus. Let me tell you about a man called Brownlow North. Yes, that's right, Brownlow. Strangely a name that seems to have fallen out of fashion (laughs) since the 19th century. Anyway, he was born in 1810 into a privileged establishment family full of parliamentarians and bishops. How more establishment could you get? However, uh, he is described as uh, having lived his first 44 years as an irresponsible and thoughtless aristocrat with a reputation for dissipation and excess. But in his midlife, uh, he gets this uh, severe illness and he starts seeking God. He's convicted of his sin and he, and he discovers the full forgiveness that can be found in Christ. He became a Christian and he quickly became one of the most prominent evangelists actually of the 19th century, particularly in Scotland. The story is told that one day he entered a, um, a church to preach and he was handed a letter as he went in which laid out in great detail uh, some examples of his sinful past and, and that therefore he should not presume to enter the pulpit in that church to preach. Nevertheless, when the time came for him to speak, he climbed the steps to the pulpit. And he began by reading the Bible verse, 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, which goes like this. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. At which he paused and then finished the verse, of whom I am the worst. Then he said, My friends, when I entered this building tonight, a letter was put into my hands. The letter refers to three distinct occasions in which it charges me with participating in depraved behaviour. Dear friends, there are three things that I have to say about this letter. First, I confess with sorrow and shame that it's all true. God knows it's true and I know it's true. The second thing I have to say is that it's all forgiven. God knows it's forgiven, and I know it's forgiven. The third thing I have to say is that if God, for Jesus Christ's sake, can forgive the sins of a sinner like Brownlow North, there is not a sinner in this world too great for God to forgive him all his sins. So, whatever is in your letter, from your political life, your personal life, whatever, it can all be forgiven. It was true for this woman, 
true for Brownlow North, it can be true for all of us. All we need to do is come to Jesus for his forgiveness. Let's turn now to the other character, Simon the Pharisee. What can we learn from him? Well, I think he represents those who think that they're not bad enough for Jesus. He invites Jesus to dinner, which on first sight, I think, seems quite a nice, friendly, civilised thing to do. But quite quickly, I think we, we get the picture that he's sceptical about Jesus. Look at the way he reacts to the woman's actions. He's scandalised. And he quickly concludes, if this man were a prophet, he would know how sinful this woman is and wouldn't let, him near him, wouldn't let her near him. And Jesus clearly perceives this going on, the, the cogs whirring in the Pharisee's mind. And, and he thinks to himself, well, how can I help this Pharisee understand not only what's going on in the heart of the woman, but in his own heart too? So, verse 40, Jesus decides to tell him a parable. Simon, I have something to tell you. Jesus then tells this parable of one person being forgiven a huge 500 denarii debt and another person being forgiven a much more modest 50 denarii debt. It's the modern equivalent of being uh, forgiven two years' wages or two months' wages and and having having that debt cancelled. It's those kind of amounts. Now, Simon would have been sharp enough to notice that Jesus is, in, is interacting with only two people at this dinner. It's him and this uh, unnamed woman. And there are only two people in the parable. So he would have been quick enough to get that the debt is a metaphor for sins. Cancellation <coughs> is the equivalent of forgiveness. And so at this stage, he probably would have found himself, I think, Agreeing with Jesus. Yes, that's right. The woman, the woman is a 500-type person. And uh, yes, I suppose you're right, Jesus. I probably am about 50. I'm not perfect, but I'm a good person. I, I go to synagogue every week. I keep all of the law and the rules of the Pharisees as well. In other words, he plays the comparison game just like we all tend to do. For example... I know I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not like that terrible murderer in the newspaper, or that crooked business leader, or that serial adulterer, or that politician with those unacceptable views in the other party. What's more, I go to church regularly. I'm very generous in my charitable giving. Come on, I've even made the ultimate self-sacrifice of going into politics. And because he's been playing the comparison game, Simon is quite comfortable with his 50 debt. Very minor, not something God would be interested in. In fact, God's probably very happy with him. He's doing quite well. Sure, the woman needs Jesus and his forgiveness, but not him. But you see, he's missed something of really vital detail in the parable. Both people whether their debt is 500 or 50, they're both in debt. They can't pay. They both need their sins forgiven. And Jesus can see that Simon still needs this spelling out to him. So in verses 44 to 46, he does just that. Simon's done none of the things that, that would have been standard in welcoming um, guests to a dinner. He's done none of those things for Jesus. 
Normally water and olive oil soap would have been offered to guests for them to wash their feet when they arrived. Simon doesn't offer this to Jesus. A kiss of greeting on the cheek for guests would have been customary. Simon doesn't offer this. Anointing guests' heads with oil didn't always take place, but a special guest, like a rabbi, <coughs> such as Jesus, it would have been appropriate as a special courtesy. Again, Simon doesn't offer it. In sum, Simon, how Simon behaves as the host towards Jesus demonstrates how little he thinks of Jesus and this message of forgiveness. He's, he's blind to the fact that even though he may have sinned less than the woman, he still needs this forgiveness that Jesus is offering. And the grave danger for 50-type people, like Simon, morally upright religious people, is that when we compare ourselves to 500-type people whose moral failures are large and obvious, we can all too easily forget that we still have sin that needs to be forgiven. Let's think about it. If we've been created by God, it stands to reason that everything that we have belongs to him. We're, we're in debt to him, essentially. We owe, we owe God everything, all of us, whether we're 500 people or 50 people. And the fact is, we know that we don't live like that day to day. No matter how hard we try religiously or morally. In the parable, the moneylender cancelled the debts of both people. What a lovely story. We could think to ourselves, too good to be true in real life? Well, no, actually. Not when we realise who the moneylender is in real life. Because you, you see in verse 48, Jesus identifies himself with the moneylender in the story. In, in real life, he is the one who's able to say to the woman and to anyone who has faith in him, your sins are forgiven. And that is the central claim of the Christian faith, that in Jesus Christ, God stepped into history and paid our debt for us. He lived the life that we should have lived and can't. He died the death that we should have died in our place so that we can receive his forgiveness. The woman understood this. Brownlow North understood this. They, they knew that Jesus had paid their debt their debt-ridden letters were ripped up because of this. And so, no wonder their lives were full of thankful, exuberant love and joy and peace. It's been said that if you, if you don't think the Christian message is the very best news you've ever heard, you can be sure that you've not yet understood it. And by the end of this episode, it it doesn't look like Simon has yet understood it. He doesn't see his need for forgiveness. And he's not convinced that Jesus is the one who can provide it. Now Luke doesn't tell us if Simon did respond later in uh, life to Jesus. He leaves it, leaves it open at the end of the story. So I wonder if we're a Simon here today. How will our story end. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, amazing uh, teaching of Jesus and how it speaks to our hearts. Our hearts that are so often actually a mixture of sometimes being like the unnamed woman, sometimes being like Simon the Pharisee. And we pray that you would speak to our hearts today to uh, show us our need of forgiveness and that Jesus has paid for all our sins. Please uh, deliver us from trying to pay for them ourselves. Give us fresh eyes to see uh, the wonderful work of Jesus on the cross, that he paid for all our sins there in our place. And we ask this in his precious name. Amen. Amen.